Hello. Hi. Welcome to Drinking the Kool-Aid. Welcome. I'm Megan. I'm Hannah. And I think that I said the wrong name in part two of oh? our last what, episode. What What did you mess up? Uh, okay, so I had stated one of the victims' names as Shirley Vaughn. It's V-I-A-N. And I had heard it as Vaughn, but then I was listening to some information that happened in court, and the judge said Vian. Oh, okay. So I'm going to throw that out there. I think that it's probably Shirley Vian. I must have had it wrong, and I hate having victims' names incorrect. Yeah, yeah. So wanted to start with that. All right, cool. And if I still have it wrong, I really try. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so how about that? Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. I mean, you definitely gave it your best shot, so that's yeah. what counts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the thing is you can pull up videos in other podcasts and listen to names over and over and over, and you'll hear it so many different ways. It's true. And a lot of times, like, if you have to look up more than one thing to pronounce in a story... By the like, sometimes by the time you've made it back to that one, you're like, a crap because you've heard so many pronunciations on it. Like, uh huh. It it's really it's honestly a lot more difficult than you would think it is. Well, and we always add all of our show notes, so everything that we have written down, we just plop that right in there for everybody to see spelling and grammar mistakes and all. Yep. And I always put, like, really stupid notes in mine. I do, too. And I, like, for when I have to pronounce a name, I'll put, like, parentheses and then, yep. like, spell it out. I do the same thing. And even then, sometimes I'll still, like, yeah, I'll still flop over it somehow. And I'm just like, well, then, so, yeah, I'm just going to let that go because it's too late now. Yeah. But. No, I uh, I definitely do the same thing in my notes. I am all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I'm always, like, putting, like, come back to or re-talk about this and this. and Yeah, I have little notes everywhere in my notes. <laughs> yep, so that's for you to enjoy. There you go. <laughs> uh, but I figure today we should probably close out this BTK story, huh? Yes, we should. Okay. Um, again, just in case anybody is looking for this book or wants to buy it, I'll just always try to state it at the beginning of these. So the book I used was Confession of a Serial Killer, The Untold Story of Dennis Rader, The BTK Killer by Catherine Ramsland. All right, recap. So in part two, the town was freaking out as details of BTK were being discussed. and I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. (laughs) And there was an increased demand for security systems, so Dennis got a job installing them with ADT. The police placed an ad in the paper that was addressed to BTK, which I think is crazy. And it said that help was available, and they listed a phone number. Dennis and his wife had two kids, Brian and Carrie, But this ended up becoming kind of a problem for Dennis because now his wife was home all the time. On March 17th, 1977, or as Hannah says, St. Patty's Day, (laughs) uh, he murdered 
Shirley Vianne, while her children were locked in a bathroom nearby. In December of 1977, he broke into Nancy Fox's apartment, murdered her, and turned the thermostat up when he left. He called the police the next day so that they could go discover her body. Dennis sent a letter that included a poem to a local TV station and decided that he just really liked this cat and mouse game that he was playing with the police. On April 26th, 1985, he murri- murried? Oh no. All right, we're not He even didn't that murray far anyone. In, you know. <laughs> oh no. Okay. He murdered Marine Hedge. So that was a cross oh, between boy. murdered and Marine. Sorry. Oh boy. Uh, who actually lived right down the street. He drug her body out of the home, took pictures of her in a church, then dumped her body in a ditch. This murder terrified Dennis's daughter, Carrie, because it was so close to home. But her father kept reassuring her that she was going to be safe. Because he's fucking scum. Right. She just didn't know yet. Right. Okay, so... Since Dennis was actually so busy with, like, work, the church, the Boy Scouts, all these things, he had to change up his routine a bit. He couldn't just prowl at night like he was used to, so now he did it on his work lunch breaks. Project Piano was Ah! next. I know. Uh, because he heard the piano being played when he was prowling around the house. On September 16th, 1986, Dennis went to the door of Vicki Waggerly and asked if he could come in to check her phone lines, and she agreed. When he went inside, he saw a baby in a playpen, and he heard dogs barking. Dennis pretended to check the phone line and ended up pulling a gun on Vicky. She started crying and talked about the baby and mentioned that her husband was on his way home for lunch. Now, can I just mention here how often this happens to Dennis? With the males coming into play? Yeah, or somebody is on their way yeah. over. Yeah. Like, this really happens a lot. He's got some shitty luck, but I mean, I'm happy that he does because... It helps sometimes. Right. Yeah. Vicky was led to the bedroom and tied up with stockings, but she broke free and fought back and was able to scratch his face all up. Dennis strangled Vicky with stockings, took a few items from her home, and left in a hurry. Tell me she had the skin under her nails, though. Actually, that does come back up later. Okay. So, yeah. The baby was unharmed. And Dennis left in Vicky's vehicle at 11.45. Yeah, this is Is the one. Is this the husband one? Yes. Oh, snap. Okay. Yeah. At 11.45 a.m., Vicky's husband, Gordon, called 911 to report that his wife had been murdered. Gordon had been driving home for his lunch break and saw somebody driving his Monte Carlo in the opposite direction. That's bananas! I know. Like, literally, can you imagine? I would second-guess myself forever. Like, did I really see that? I would, too, 100%, but also, like, I know every vehicle in this driveway, and, like, if they pass, I know. Yeah. 
I mean, I would at the very least know everybody's license plates. Right, and that's exactly it. Yeah. Gordon used a knife to cut the nylons and shoelace off from his wife's neck, and he became the prime suspect in her murder. Dennis estimates... Wait, the husband? Yeah, the husband did. Because he was coming home on his lunch break, and so it just looks bad, and now his fingerprints are on... Yeah. The stockings and stuff. Okay. okay. So that's why. Well, a lot of times it is the husband. True. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. It's just interesting because it happens more than once that way, too, where, you know, Dennis commits a murder and then somebody else discovers the body and now they're the, su- the suspect in it. Right. You know? Dennis estimates that more than 30 of his projects. Ugh happened during this time due to prowling during work hours. Many of them didn't turn into murders, and one time he was attempting to break into a home and the couple showed up, so he had to leave. (laughs) Yeah. Man. I know. There was a gruesome murder that Dennis did not commit. But he sent a letter to the police to kind of stir the pot and throw them off. In the summer of 1988, Dennis lost his ADT job. And... Uh-oh. Yeah. It never goes well. As we've seen previously, it's a terrible problem. Was he fired? Um, as far as I know, he just said he, like, lost his job, so I pre- I'm pretty sure okay. he was fired. yep. Not good. Right. And also at this time, his wife, Paula, became the main breadwinner in the household, and that was a huge blow to his ego. Okay. He hated this. That makes sense. Yeah, he just didn't like when women were viewed as more powerful than he was. Or anybody else more powerful than him. Right, right. Yes, but especially women, probably because of his mom issues. I don't know. Yep. I don't know what you're doing, Dennis. He did apply for jobs, though. It just might not be what you'd expect. Dennis wanted to be a police officer. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah? He what? He wanted to be a police officer. Fucking why? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I know he has to have, like, the superiority thing, but, like... Bruh, did you did you think that you could like get involved and then get away with shit? Because maybe you were... he would work on his own case. I, I, I don't oh, know. Boy. All right, <laughs> some interesting thought process, but okay. So he applied to oh. the Wichita PD, the Sheriff's Department, and Highway Patrol. Okay. He was turned down by all three, and he was like, well, it's probably just because of my age. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) there's no other reason that it could be. (laughs) Okay. He got a job with the census, but it was really temporary. He was in and out of work, had a lot of extra time, and even had to be home with the kids for a while. Dennis liked to secretly bind himself. And so he dug holes or graves and would sit in them for a while, and he would wrap himself in plastic. 
And I don't want anybody to think that we're, like, kink-shaming. No. It's just surprising and, and when what? you know what he's done. Exactly. It's because we know what it, like, leads up to and what yeah. happened during and, yeah. Like, if you're into that and you're not harming anybody, I really don't care. Do you, homie. Yeah. Have fun. Um, but, like, it is very concerning when... He murders people. Exactly. Yes. He set up his camera to take the photos of him when he was tied up. It got to the point where he couldn't control himself anywhere. When he went on Boy Scout trips, they would all split up to go, like, find items to build their teepees. Oh, oh my gosh, it's coming. Are you ready? Okay, also keep it away from kids. Yeah. Uh... To my knowledge, I don't think the kids ever found out or this would have been a very different story. Right, thank God. But Dennis would hoist himself upside down in a tree for like some alone time or self-gratification. He also became a regular at local motels and was involved in a lot of sex parties. Oh my God, this dude! Yeah. He often went there on his own to do his self-bondage. And I don't want to dive too deep into this part, but, I mean, feel free to read the book if you're looking for that kind of information. Okay. I will say that he would apparently, like, rig a rope and pulley system in the bathtubs at these motels. Dennis said that as the water dripped into the bucket, the rope tightened around the plastic bag on his head. Oh, yeah. So, I mean... I mean, shit, if you're into it, it's creative. Right. I, I, When I looked at it, I was like, that's kind of what I thought. I was like, shit, that's creative I mean, for considering you. that he's, like, not that bright... Right. It's definitely creative. Yeah. I agree. Maybe that's why I was so like, whoa, what? For someone who <laughs> leaves their knife at the crime scene... Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Um, you'll like this. Okay. When something is highly arousing to Dennis, he calls it sparky big time. Oh, no! (laughs) Unfortunately. Yeah. This has stuck in my head. The sparky big time. Yes! Stop saying it! God. (laughs) When I listened to podcasts about him before. Yeah. That is the one detail that always stuck in my mind because it's so gross. I'm just a fan of using adult words, and that's why it's like sparky big time, hidey hole, like, what? Yeah, it just, yeah, that has always stuck with me, and I wish that that memory would just, like, not stick with me. Oh, well, here it is again. (laughs) So, thanks for... Sticking that right back in there and bringing it up again. You're welcome. Happy Christmas. Appreciate it. (laughs) Dennis was zeroing in on his next victim. He had been prowling around the Davis home for a while, and he named this project Dogside because there were dog kennels nearby. Okay. Yeah. Clever. I mean, (laughs) given that none of them have really been... Clever, so... Right, no, I know. Yeah, they're all, uh... Really dumb. Yeah. Okay. 
It had been about four years since his last murder, and this wasn't the only person that he was targeting. There was a lady at his church who lost her husband, and he was planning to zero in on her, but became so obsessed with Dolores Davis that he decided to go with her instead. On Pancake Scout Day, Pancake Scout Day? Yes. I feel like you paused because you knew I was about to say something about it. I 100% did. <laughs> like, you literally just entirely paused. I just knew. <laughs> Dennis stayed at the church overnight so that he could set up for the next morning. He had a little sparky big time uh. in <laughs> Sunday school. Oh my I literally can't do this. <laughs> I hate it. I hate this is it. So uncomfortable. I really hate it. <laughs> I love that we both sit here. And laugh. <laughs> oh no. Uh, I don't want any hate mail over this. <laughs> Sorry. Um so after he did that, he walked over to the Davis home. Dolores was inside reading, and he waited until she went to bed. He actually couldn't find an easy way into her house, so he threw a cinder block through the glass door. <laughs> All right, that's one way. Yeah. So Dolores comes running to the door and asked, like, did you just drive through my house? He, of course, did his, like, whole wanted man bullshit story. Yep. And Dolores was like, okay, well, I'm actually expecting somebody. So Dennis was like, great, now I have to rush again. She's like, here we go again. Yeah. He tied Dolores up and went to the kitchen for water because, you know, that's his signature yep. thing. He, he always drinks water. water. <laughs> 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 he went back to the bedroom and Dolores begged him to leave her alone. But he strangled her with pantyhose. Okay. He put her in a blanket and placed her in the trunk of the car and left her body in the bushes by a lake. Oh, my God. He went back to the church and hid items from the murder there. Then he brought the car back to Dolores' house, and when he was there, he realized he left his gun behind. Holy hell. Uh-huh. He took her driver's license and jewelry, and this is where his M.O. kind of changes again. He drove back to the lake in his station wagon and took Dolores's body. He originally planned to bring her to an old barn, but it was foggy and snowy, so he couldn't find his way there. He put Dolores under a bridge and figured this would keep her out of the elements and that he would just come back for photos later. Ew! Yeah. I know. But forgot his gun. I, I mean... Um, he, like, drops the car he off. He forgot like, his knife, too, Oh, so. shoot! My gun's here! On January 19th, 1991, officers were sent to the home of Dolores Davis for a possible robbery. A friend of hers stopped by because he was going to do some work on her car. The friend noticed the broken glass door and saw that her vehicle was in the driveway, but knew she always parked in the garage. Police found a purple hairnet outside the car. Key, uh, the keys to her car 
were on the garage roof because Dennis like threw them up there. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, I have no idea why he did that. Okay. A rug was in the trunk of the car and there were sheets and a mattress pad in a culvert nearby. Police didn't realize at the time, but a piece of Dennis's gun was actually mixed in the broken glass that shattered from the door. What? Yeah. I know. What? Uh huh. <laughs> but, oh my. Uh. I know. The area near the home was being searched for clues, and the police were also stopping anybody that looked suspicious or kind of out of place, and they stopped Dennis. Did they really? Yeah, they did. He, so he's at, uh, you know, the church with the scouts and Dennis goes up to the scout leader and he's like, I've got a really bad headache again. That always happens. And so he said that he needed to leave to go get pills. So he was really going out to pick up items that he had ditched after the murder. Afterwards, he stops at a rest stop to change his clothes while he was on the toilet. Okay. What? While what? he's on the toilet, no way. a highway patrol officer is like, knock, knock. Bro, I need no to way. talk to no. you. Can you come out here, please? This is amazing. <laughs> it, not a lot happens from this, but it is funny. So he was questioned, but ultimately told the police officer he was a scout leader and just there to change his clothes. And they were like, yeah, okay, that checks out. I mean, like, if that happened to me, I guess, thank God that I was sitting on a toilet because I would shit. If, yeah. like, someone knocked on my <laughs> stall door and was like, I need to talk to you. Like, uh, no, thank you. I mean, if the officer had actually searched the vehicle or stopped him by the vehicle, he would have found. All the items that were stolen from Dolores. Right. So. So right after this, like, close call on the toilet, Dennis actually <laughs> headed to the bridge where he left Dolores's body. What? Yeah. He talked to a police officer and then went. And then went right to her body. Oh, oh no, no. I would be so paranoid after that. And they're literally stopping people in the area and searching. I'd be like, you are on to me, like, 100%. I'd be driving, like, all over the place trying to lose the pretend police officers. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, No, he put a mask on Dolores and did, like, a whole photo shoot. Okay. Yeah. On February 1st, a boy was out walking his dog and found Dolores under a bridge. Oh. Pantyhose were still around her neck and knees. A hand-painted porcelain mask was nearby her. And, you guys, this part's real gross, too. Animals had eaten parts of her face, hands, and feet. Oh, that sucks. Well, yeah. but it makes sense, though, because if it's a bridge, I'm assuming it's by some sort of, like, water. Park or something, or yeah. Or, like, water source, and yeah. that's gonna bring the animals in. Absolutely. It was a, a terrible idea. That sucks. After this, Dennis was like, I should probably lay Stop low for a bit. Oh. Yeah, just for a bit. That was wrong. Okay. <laughs> He figured that the officer that had stopped him at the rest stop would have probably run his license plate, and he didn't want to be connected to anything. 
He attempted to find a job, but was having a really tough time. He claims that he considered ending his life for a while, but in May of 1991, he got a full-time job as a compliance officer. Are you serious? Yes. So he would be enforcing Park City's ordinances. He should not be enforcing anything, period. (laughs) True. (laughs) He was so glad to have this job. And it came with a file cabinet that locks a new hidey oh, hole. I knew you were going to say it. <laughs> God, and your excitement made it so much grosser. <laughs> oh. I can't wait to be done with this one so I never have to hear that shit again. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to start whispering it to you at no, night please do while not. you sleep. <laughs> do not do that. If you do that, uh-huh. you're going to regret it because I'm going to have to bring up some black-eyed kids then. Oh, ew. Yeah, I thought see? we were past that. Exactly. That's what I thought. In all seriousness, he was actually hiding things everywhere, though. He even planned to create hiding spots in the kids' treehouse, but he just didn't get around to it. Gross. Isn't that horrible? Just, like, I just, uh, we know the shit yeah. that he is hiding, and to even think that you're going to hide that in I'm something of your kids is... not surprised, though. No, not even no, the slightest. No, I mean, he hid it at his parents' house. Doesn't yeah. care. And the church. Church, right. Dennis had to carry cards with him that listed where he was hiding everything because he was burying evidence all over town. <laughs> like that's how bad has, it is. He has evidence of yes. his evidence. Yes. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> In January of 2004, a reporter for the Wichita Eagle published a story about the Oteros because it had been 30 years unsolved. The writer mentioned that someone was working on writing a book about BTK, and oh boy, oh boy. He ate that right up. Dennis was like, excuse me, what? In March, Hearst Laviana, the newspaper reporter, received a letter from Bill Thomas Kilman, BTK. The letter was mailed on March 17th, which is the anniversary of Shirley Vian's murder. There were three Polaroid photos of a woman bound, and Vicki Wagerly's license was included. There was a series of letters at the top of the page and a BTK symbol in the right-hand corner. The return address was linked to an abandoned building. The police never took photos of the scene at Vicki's murder, so... This was obviously straight from the murderer himself. Robert Beattie was the one working on a BTK book, and the series of symbols or letters at the top of the page from BTK said, Let Beattie know for his book. Ew! I mean, of course he's going to want to be involved in this. I just... Ew! Yeah. Ew! I just, I was, I don't like it. I know. Let, who, what was his name? Uh, Robert Beatty. Let Beatty know for his book. Yeah. That's just, ew. I know. No, how about we don't? 
Okay. <laughs> Just don't tell them. It never happened. <laughs> we'll tell them after you're caught. Oh, I thought you were going to say after the book is done. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's done? Oh, shoot. He's such a bitch move. Now I'm, that would be awful. Yeah. <laughs> On May 4th, 2004, Dennis sent a coded letter over to Cake TV. And I don't want anyone coming at me if it's not Cake. If it's K-A-K-E, fine. Same thing. I mean. But who doesn't like Cake? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so he sends this well, letter. Except for Kevin Hart. Listen. Because cake makes him explode. That's true. <laughs> That's so unfortunate. But is it? <laughs> oh. oh, man. Poor Kevin. <laughs> um, Anybody who's seen Jumanji <laughs> is like, hopefully going to find that funny. We will see. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there can be like man. Kevin Hart explodes from cake. A what? <laughs> it's like after I said it, I was like, "What if you've never seen it? It's gonna be like so confusing." Okay, but it's okay. That's all right. It's all right. Uh, so he sends a letter over to Cake TV, and it's from <laughs> Thomas B. Kingman. That included two uh, handmade ID cards and a photocopy of a special officer badge. He's a special officer now. Oh, God. <laughs> Around the same time, a postal worker also found a police badge in a drop box. Dennis decided that if a book was being written about him, he wanted it to be factual. Of course he did. Right. On June 13th, a clear plastic bag was taped to a stop sign and had a letter detailing the Otero murders. At the end, he warned that the games were over and he was considering his next hit. In his letters, he acted as if he was talking to his fans. As more things came out in the news about BTK, his daughter Carrie was getting really upset and scared. You know, he probably did think it was his fan, though. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, like, him writing a book about him, he's probably, like, the, he is, like, loving every second of, like, me sending this stuff to him. Exactly. Yep, he craves it. Ugh. So, Carrie's getting upset, and then his wife notices that there was a similarity in the words that were misspelled in the BTK letters. <gasps> and she's like, why is that so similar to my husband's writing? Boy, that's smart. Yeah. And they were obviously warning people on the news. Like, the police were saying that the killer could blend in. But how could it be her husband? In fact, he had just been elected vice president at Christ Lutheran and was eligible to be president next. I didn't even know there was, like, presidents of churches, but apparently that's a thing. On July 17th, a library employee found a bag with five pieces of paper from BTK. Uh, by the way, he calls these letters a BTK flashgram. I don't know what you want me to say at this point. <laughs> Just soak it in. I don't want to. <laughs> at all. I just... 
it's so weird that everything gets a special name. Yep. He's a special officer, and he sends out BTK flashgrams. Please don't keep going. <laughs> Just let's end it there. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. It was going to be good, no. though. No. <laughs> Anyways, he spun some awful story about a 19-year-old who had been murdered named Jake Allen. Dennis said that he talked online with Jake and murdered him, but the police found out he was lying. Wait, why? The thing is, Jake actually, okay, so Jake Allen was murdered. That part's real. But he's just coming in and stirring the pot again. Okay. And police realized that Jake had not had any communications with people online. So they're like, that's not true. At this time, Dennis was 59 years old. And oh my god! Yeah. And he's still g- good lord, dude. But listen, he was like, I think I want to retire from murdering soon. Oh, do you think so? Yeah. Soon, okay? He decided he was going to do just two more murders so that it was like an even 12. Anything past that was just excessive for him. He started stalking a woman to learn her routine and decided to break into her home on October 22nd. Dennis knew the woman would be home on her lunch break, so he headed over, but to his surprise, there was a work crew working on the street, like nearby, right in front, so he couldn't commit the murder. (laughs) So he couldn't commit the murder. Oh my god, I hate when you say that sentence. I love it because I'm glad that he didn't, but it's like... yeah. He's just so... I know. He's just so... His mentality is crazy sauce. Just everything. Mm -hmm. Does not plan things. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't plan them well, I should say. Right. Gets scared over everything. Yeah. And it's just crazy. In the book, too, he even mentions, like, you know, we've talked about a couple times... When all of these males show up at places that he's going to murder somebody. And in the book, he's like, my luck is so awful. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? I mean, I really, I said it. I was like, his luck is real shitty, but I'm glad for that. But like, also, yeah, yeah, are you kidding me? But for him to say that. Yeah, 100%. Exactly. When he's planning to murder people. That's ridiculous. Stop that. Like, oh no, something stopped you from murdering someone. Yeah. Yeah. Your luck is awful. Yeah. I know. So later that day, a UPS driver found a plastic bag with BTK field grams. And Dennis says he did this again to stir the pot. The letter was sent with the expectation that he would have been successful in the planned murder that afternoon. So he, like, pre-wrote it out. Oh. Dennis provided many details about his childhood. And, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. He started explaining details about who he was. Oh, because he's still trying to... For the book. For the book. I forgot. So it's factual. And he basically put the blame on his mother for turning him into a serial killer. I mean, she did some things that weren't great, but... Some, exactly, but, I mean, it's people live through much shittier experiences, and they aren't serial killers. Exactly. So it's Let's, really how you decide. Yeah. 
Let's take some responsibility. Yeah. We're grown-ass adults. On December 8th, Dennis called a quick trip and said, hey, I left a bomb. It wasn't a bomb. Inside the package was a doll with the hands bound behind its back. No, that's disgusting. And Nancy Fox's driver's license was tied to the doll's ankle. Oh, gross. Yes. I sound like this because I'm squishing my face because I'm grossed out. (laughs) (laughs) Around this time... America's Most Wanted aired an episode about BTK, so you know he had to send more letters. Oh, of course. He loves his letters. He loves the attention. Yeah. On January 5th, 2005, Cake TV received a postcard that had the Otero's address on it. The note gave a specific location where a cereal box could be located. Dennis also had a request. He said he wanted somebody to figure out a way to communicate back to him that the cereal box had been found. Holy shit. Okay. The police did find another box, and there was a doll hung from a PVC pipe inside. The note said that there was also a package left at a nearby Home Depot. This is just like a goose chase. Yes, and he's loving it. So the police head over to the Home Depot and an employee said, oh, yeah, I found a cereal box in the back of my pickup truck, like in the bed of it. No, I'll be so pissed. Inside the box was a blue beaded necklace and a note, but he threw it away. What? Wait, the dude that got it in his truck threw it away? Yeah. What? He's like, that's not mine. Oh, bye. Oh, (laughs) Luckily, they were able to locate the box in the trash. The note inside said, The BTK story. An organized serial killer did the murders. It is the true sadistic sexual killer profile that happened here. The serial box that had been thrown away actually had the most important information for two reasons. First, police checked the Home Depot security cameras, and while it was horrendously grainy, They were able to see a man exiting a dark-colored SUV, and that was the first glimpse they had at the murderer. Also, there was a note in the box labeled, Communication. Dennis said he wanted to communicate safely with the police. He planned to start sending them a floppy disk and wanted to know if this was going to be safe, and he tells the police, Be honest. (laughs) (laughs) hold on we lost hannah (laughs) oh boy is this safe (laughs) be honest place an ad in the paper that says Rex, it'll be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) I'm literally 
literally crying right now. I hope that everyone's laughing along with us and not like, oh my God, you guys laughed the entire episode. <laughs> oh my God. I just uh, <laughs> be honest. Uh, my God. Now. Yeah, I literally have tears. <laughs> she does have tears streaming down her face right now. Her eyes are leaking. I did not expect that. That's all. Oh, man. Okay. Be honest. All right. All right. <laughs> Since Dennis is basically 10, he chose the name Rex because it rhymes with sex. <laughs> <laughs> And, um... <laughs> you took me down again! <laughs> oh, no! You can't lay that on me right after! <laughs> I just thought it was a really important Ooh. thing for you to know. Oh, okay. All right. Ooh. He also sent his letters in cereal boxes because he thought it was so funny. I mean, I did, I did, uh... Make that connection as you were saying cereal boxes. I was like, oh, come on, And he really said it. He was like, cereal boxes, cereal killer, ha, ha, ha. Okay. (laughs) He was the way you said it. I'm sure that's how it comes out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But wait, it gets more dumb. No! (laughs) I literally cannot take it. Okay. He used Raisin Bran boxes for the B- Post toadies for the tea, or toasties, toadies, <laughs> <laughs> and special K for the K. Oh my god, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it through the rest of this episode. <laughs> oh. Okay. Are you ready to move forward? Are you collected? I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> I will do my best. All right. Dennis had questioned an officer named Randy Stone. About the safety of communicating, like, through email, and learned that it's traceable. So he believed that floppy disks were different, and he was so excited to share more of his story. A new BTK task force was assembled, and analysts studied the information that they had received to determine the following. The murderer lived locally had a dark SUV, was likely a white male around 60 years old, had military experience, and had some kind of tie to Wichita State University. Holy crap. They did pretty good. The police ran an ad in the paper assuring Dennis that floppy disks were safe. Are safe. <laughs> like, you can trust us. They were honest about it. (laughs) (laughs) And so he sees this ad and he is so pumped because it's just going to be a lot easier for him to use a computer and stop copying things over and over. Unfortunately, his home computer wasn't working, but the church computer was. Since Dennis had recently been elected president of the congregation, he was able to use the computer whenever he needed. On February 16th, police received a floppy disk and their computer expert was able to determine that this was sent by Dennis. How'd they figure this out, you might ask? Well, let me tell you. Oh, I can't wait. In the property section of the disk, it said, 
Dennis. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> this is so good. The first two episodes were heavy. So this is a, a good closing. I tell you what. I clearly have no self-control. I am so sorry, okay. guys. <laughs> we laugh all the time. We love Ooh. to laugh. Ooh. He had signed into the church computer with a password that linked to his name. <laughs> okay. I hoped for that. <laughs> I really did. So now the police have his name and know where the disc is created. <laughs> They're like, oh, that came from Christ Lutheran Church. and It they, was made by Dennis. They did a Google search. And Dennis popped up as the president. He was the president. And so they're like, oh, there's his address. That's perfect. (laughs) Oh, man, this is good. The police headed to the church to talk to the pastor. And he said that Dennis Rader had recently used the church computer. He confirmed that he was a compliance officer, graduated from Wichita State University, and had a military background. The pieces were all starting to fit together. Dennis, father, husband, family man, Boy Scout leader, and church president, was the serial killer. Dun, dun, dun! (laughs) I just want to drive home that point that they can really blend in. He's always the pillar, though. Yes. So Dennis has absolutely no idea about all the recent developments in the case. So his ass is at home. Making more floppy disks? Working on another doll and a oh. communication. So close. Oh, yeah. Yes. He thought that he was outsmarting everybody. The police wanted to make sure they had everything in order before they went after Dennis, so the task force spent time watching him. Just like he had stalked others and learned their routines, The police did the same thing to him. Karma's a bitch. Yes. The police also found out that his daughter, Carrie, had recently been in the hospital. So they got a subpoena for her DNA, and it was a familial match to the semen left at the Otero's, Nancy Fox's apartment, and Vicki Wagerly's fingernail clippings. Oh, uh, yeah, Uh there was. Mm Mm-hmm. On February 25th, the police got search warrants for Dennis's home, church, and office. Since they had been watching him, they saw that he went home on his lunch break at the same time every day, and that's when they were going to get him. Oh, you mean the same lunch break that he was stalking people on? Hmm, isn't that cute? A whole fleet of marked and unmarked police vehicles lined one of the streets on his route. At 12.15 p.m., Dennis turned the corner and was pulled over by two detectives, swarmed and handcuffed. Yes! Yes! Dennis just couldn't believe that the police had lied to him about that floppy disk. I mean, he asked them if it was safe. Okay, you're going to love this part. <laughs> I bet I am. I feel it in my bones. After- <laughs> I thought you were going to say I feel it in my balls. I was like, Megan, is there something you need to tell me? <laughs> if anything, I would say I'd feel it in my butt. <laughs> That's true. You know me. In your TBH. <laughs> I feel it in my TBH. <laughs> <laughs> we're never getting through this. I know. Uh, After his arrest, 
he got to meet the man that found his name on the disc. It was Randy Stone, the officer that gave him the advice about email security. What? Yeah. (laughs) No flipping way. Yeah. I was like, wow. (laughs) It was the same one? Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. When he realized that they already had a DNA match, he was like, oh, I'll just confess everything then. And he just started spilling. (laughs) He's like, I'm not even going to try. Exactly. He was interviewed for 30 hours over the next two days. Wow. He, He said, here's what he tells them. He goes... Well, I'm normally a pretty nice guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I really get those vibes. He was like, I just murder because I have sexual fantasies. Oh, okay. Oh, you're um, so nice. Yeah. I'm really getting that from this whole story. And so then he lets them know if he had not been caught, he was planning to send a doll with a bomb next. Yeah, he just tells them. Yeah. Okay. He was like, I was hoping it would cause a dilemma for you. He was going for, like, should they figure out how to disassemble the bomb to preserve the evidence or just let the bomb go off? Conundrum. Oh, yeah. And then he would include a play production with a final curtain call because he thought it would just be funny. Ew. And it would be named BTK Productions. He can fuck right off with that. Yeah, it's disgusting. Don't do that. Dennis was booked into Sedgwick County Jail, and he drew several maps to show police where all of his hidey holes were. Oh, you just had to slip it in there one more time, didn't you? Yes. They didn't find everything, but in the end, it didn't really matter. They had evidence to charge him with eight murders. But he confessed to all (laughs) ten and let let them know that he was working on his 11th. Oh, my God. Yeah. He just... By the way, I was going to murder again. I didn't get to it, but just so you know. Mm -hmm. I was gonna. Yes. Dennis was given a psychological assessment for competency to see if he could stay on trial. It was determined that he had narcissistic personality disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, and hypergraphia. I think that's how you say it. Okay. Which is a behavioral condition characterized by the intense desire to write or draw. Oh. I've never heard of this before. I didn't know that was a thing, but okay. I looked it up, and it's actually really, really fascinating. I was just going to say that, honestly. It was noted that he showed a lack of empathy for his victims, and he had a sense of grandiosity or an unrealistic sense of superiority like You know, you can only be understood by people that are equal or as special as you are. Yep. He had a strong need for admiration and attention and showed a high sense of entitlement. He was also obsessed with rules, patterns, and structure. Dennis was ultimately found competent to stand trial. The rules, patterns, and structure thing, though falls into play with that, like, threes. That makes sense. Yeah. And having that, like, obsession with it and... Didn't you say OCD, too? Yes. Then, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. It does. He agreed with most of the assessment, and he's like, yeah, I am narcissistic. But he rejected the theory that he had hypergraphia. Oh, oh, okay. He was like, no, 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 that's not me. So the one that's like, 
totally, it's like, you know, kind of a different category than yeah. the rest is the one that he rejects. Yes. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> all right. Whatever, dude. Yeah. Pastor Michael Clark from the Christ Lutheran Church was completely blown away when Dennis was arrested. Like, he wholeheartedly believed that the police had the wrong guy. It's really unfortunate when that happens. Oh, yeah. Once Dennis confessed, Pastor Clark began coming to terms with things, but he figured that he had to have been possessed by demons. I wondered if you were going to say that. So he brought that theory up to Dennis and did a bunch of interviews with him. Did Dennis run with it? Uh, He said that he could see that. He was like, oh, yeah, maybe, but not really. I wondered if he was going to run with it just to get more attention from him. Nope. Pastor Clark was actually working really close with someone on a book about Dennis, and this made Dennis feel completely betrayed. What? Yeah. He was livid. Huh? Like, how dare Pastor Clark come in here and interview and so act like a friend? other people to uh-huh. write about him, but if they know him personally and don't ask, he's like, Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. Okay. On the morning of June 27th, people were swarming the packed courtroom just waiting to hear what Dennis would say. Judge Gregory Waller asked for his plea, and Dennis said guilty. Judge Waller read 10 counts of murder, and Dennis said guilty to all of them. In a very flat tone, Dennis launched into the full story and described his murders. Uh, I did watch parts of it, too, and it's very, like, monotone. Okay. Oh, I I thought you were going to say disturbing. Like, no feeling whatsoever. Just casual story. That is, that is disturbing in itself. Yep. During the sentencing phase in August, D.A. Falston showed a PowerPoint that included many photos of Dennis in various states of self-bondage. I know we already brought this up, but I said it would come back again. So there's a photo included in the book, and it's very unexpected (laughs) when it pops up on you. Dennis is kneeling on the ground and he's on a blanket. A belt is fastened around his thighs and he's wearing black female underwear and a bra with pantyhose around his chest and most likely tied around his hands, which are behind his back. There's a white garment or towel draped over his head and the caption reads, Raider in self-bondage, courtesy of the office of the district attorney courtesy like they're doing us a service yeah (laughs) uh could have gone without but thanks but anyways that's how long i stared at the photo was to get all those details for you not yeah you really (laughs) examined it man (laughs) i did (laughs) god oh i'm gonna need to like wash my brain out wash your eyeballs okay pop them out and boil them just do it scoop them out with a spoon yep all right. Pop him right out and eyeball scoop. <laughs> okay. Dennis said he was really embarrassed when they showed his self-bondage photos, but when he provided a statement, he explained how he had so much in common with many of his victims. Ugh. I know. Ugh. Ugh. That's exactly my feelings, too. Ugh. I was like, no, you do not. Don't say that. Ooh. Mm-hmm. 
first off, fucker. <laughs> I, I, I know I leaned back. I, I came back. <laughs> I thought you were done. I thought because we were skipping over it. <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, they were forced. Yeah. You were not. Right. You have nothing in common. Zip it. Okay. Okay, sorry. He received 10 consecutive life sentences to be served at the El Dorado Correctional Facility for a minimum of 175 years before the possibility of parole. (laughs) I don't know why, but I love when they, like, throw before possibility of parole on there when it's, like, over 100 years and you're like, like, oh, you're just going to. 175 years later from now, even though you're already, like, in your 60s, 175 years from now, that's when you have your opportunity. Yeah. You gotta I love give when they throw that on there. I don't, I don't know. It just gets me. His wife divorced him, and the family house went up for auction. When Dennis had been held at Sedgwick County Jail, the inmates referred to him as the pod father, and he thought that was so Ew. funny. Nope. But things weren't as funny to him when he got moved to El Dorado in August of 2005. Inmates in segregation are locked up for 23 hours a day, so you only get one hour a day for exercise or showers. Wowza. Yeah. They also do not receive TV, newspaper, or radio privileges right away. Like, you actually have to earn it. Oh, okay. Even though Dennis rejected the previous theory that he obsessively keeps notes, he obsessively keeps notes. (laughs) He actually writes down the details of each day, including what he ate. Holy. In one entry, he wrote, Today, oatmeal, two turkey sausage patties, a biscuit, juice, and milk. He claims that he had done a lot of reflecting and will forever be haunted by the last words of two of his victims. Catherine Bright said, I can't breathe, help me. And Julie Otero said, May God have mercy on your soul. Dennis says that he knows many people will not believe that he feels sorrow and shame about the murders. When Stephen King... He's right, I don't believe him. I know. I don't either, but I put that in there because... I can't be sure that he doesn't feel that. You know, I don't believe him feeling bad about it, but, like, I do believe that he is probably haunted, at least by those words, because, like, I have heard other killers say, you know, something specific that one of the victims said will just haunt them forever. And Mm -hmm. honestly, I love when that happens. I hope it does haunt you for fucking ever. I do, too. And I mean, he clearly remembers the words. Right. You know. But, like, I don't think that he feels bad. Right. I think that's just in his memory now. When Stephen King learned about the case, he published a story called A Good Marriage, which was loosely based on Dennis Rader and his wife. King explained that it's a story about what he believes Paula Rader must have experienced when she found out her husband was a serial killer. Oh, Over the years, Dennis watched many movies and read books that caused him to find similarities in himself. He said he wanted to understand how he could care so deeply for some people, such as friends or family, but also be able to murder others. He has an actual dent across the top of his head that's like four to five inches long, 
And Dennis himself wonders if he has a brain defect. Oh, interesting. Could something have happened to his brain when he was dropped on his head as a child, when his mom fell off the horse when she was pregnant? Or could it be because she was smoking during pregnancy? Like, could any of these things cause problems? Right. Or like a mixture of all of them? Yeah. He has studied other serial killers and just feels that his personality traits and upbringing don't make sense. Many murderers, according to Dennis, have traumatic or abusive childhoods or are neglected. Dennis acknowledges that he really did have a good childhood and both of his parents loved him. He hopes that the book can help those that study criminal minds to gain a better understanding. Dennis has never been formally diagnosed with anything because he only received a series of simple tests to see if he was fit to stand trial. Many specialists that have reviewed his letters have all agreed that he has hypergraphia, which could point to possible developmental issues and learning disabilities. Oh, interesting. Uh Uh-huh. Today, Dennis is still serving his sentence at El Dorado Correctional Facility in Butler County, Kansas. He leaves his cell for an hour a day for exercise and showers, And he isn't allowed to speak with reporters or appear on TV, but he can communicate through letters. Holy crap. He has some health issues, and it's believed that he might have actually had a stroke in 2018 and has short-term memory loss and dementia. He's not allowed to read any true crime literature, which means he can't read the book his daughter Carrie wrote. What? Yeah. So she wrote a book called A Serial Killer's Daughter, My Story of Faith, Love, and Overcoming, and he can't touch it. Oh, bad ass. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. And that is the end of Dennis Rader's story. I like how he's like, oh, I don't have the, or I didn't have the things that, like, a lot of serial killers killers come from. Like, he's, you know, because he's saying that, um... Like, abusive childhoods and whatever, like, traumatizing childhoods. Yes. But then, like, didn't this dude not, didn't he start fires at some point? What, or did I make that up? No, you didn't make that up. We talked about that in the first yeah. one very he started, briefly. And was there animals involved? Uh, yep, he absolutely okay, harmed animals. and then animals. there was head trauma. So, yes. yeah, you do have the traits because <laughs> those are three of the top ones yeah. that are typically involved with the upbringing of a serial killer, so mm-hmm. yeah, you do. Yeah. I chose to leave it out uh, going into the details of the animals. No, stuff. I appreciate that. So No, I just, I happened to like, it, as soon as you said that, when he was like, oh, I don't, I've been, I, I researched them and I don't have the same upbringing or whatever. Yeah, well, you got all the traits, so. I think if I had to make a guess here, he's basically like, Oh, I'm so fucking yeah, special. Exactly. Like I'm just different than the right. others. And that's what I'm saying. No, you ain't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are certain things that absolutely you can look at a serial killer's past and be like, oh shit. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> like that makes sense. But I mean, Dennis. Wow. He's a lot. Yeah. For sure. And I'm so thankful that it all worked out as far as him getting caught. I am so thankful that I never have to hear Sparky Big Time or Heidi Hole again after this, hopefully. I mean, 
Or at least not for a long time. <laughs> and I'm even over the whole prowling thing. Like, I, I'm just yeah. done with all these words. Yeah. I know. Well, it it's the language that he uses. I know. So, I mean. I know it. And everyone has to know because Sparky Big Time is just- Oh, Megan! <laughs> God! Okay, I actually do have to say one thing about that. Okay. So I didn't put this in, but at the very beginning when he's talking about his childhood and brings up a specific incident about his mother, like, chasing him around the house and beating him. Yeah. He's like, I didn't like it, but Sparky did. <gasps> and I was like, no. I wish you would have left that out. <laughs> You took it out and then you brought it back. Sorry. Leave it out next time. Sometimes I edit my notes and I'm like, ah, we don't need to do that. But no, I had to. Oh, thank you so much. I knew it would be very important to you. Shit, that was good, man. (laughs) Three parts, man. That was a long haul, but you did really good. Thank you. It was a lot. Uh, deeper of a dive than I would have hoped for. No, I loved it. Um, I love getting super into details. No matter like how shitty they are, I still love to like dive into those details. I can't help it. I agree. Yeah. Hannah and I both agree that we like long podcast episodes. We like long stories. We like to do deep dives into stuff. So if y'all aren't into that, sorry. Sorry. That's what's happening. (laughs) All right. So make sure to follow us on any of our podcast apps. Tell us the stories you want to hear. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Go to our website. Leave us those voicemails. Send your listener stories over to drinkingthekoolaid.yahoo.com. Leave us a five-star review if you love us. Tell your friends. Tell your cats. Um, bye. bye.